0: The Blake Street Banter, day two of week of the minor leagues. Hopefully you caught up yesterday on Monday with Scraxi and Tyler, the resident minor league baseball dude, um, and got caught and ready for the draft and possible GM Scraxy moves and things to look for in the minor leagues. Today we are bringing you a conversation with the voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes, Mike Sushan. He sits and just talks to ballplayers, talks baseball, uh, college baseball with minor league baseball. And just a good listen, good conversation, a good banter session. Hope you enjoy, share the word, and hit that subscribe button. Go give a review. Go find us on YouTube. Do all the good stuff. Banter along with us. Welcome to Blake Street Banter, where one of us knows what the word banter means, and the other is just long for the ride. Um, I am here with Josh Sushan, the play-by-play announcer of the Albuquerque Isotopes, how are you doing, Josh?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Yeah. Excited just to talk ball, Triple A isotopes, all that good stuff. See, you're in a hotel. Where are you at right now?
1: We are in Salt Lake City, Utah. At the time that we are recording this, it's game five of a six-game series later on tonight. And one of the main things that we have been experiencing is just what we feel about six game series. You know, uh, normally in the past, it was a four game series, sometimes three, sometimes five. And now we have these lengthy, every single series is six games. So it's really been interesting.
0: I would, that was actually one of my questions. So let's just dive into that. So how do you, do you like it as a play-by-play announcer? Have you talked to the players at all about it? Do they enjoy the week in one spot, the little less traveling, I guess, what kind of, changes and adjustments positive and negative have you seen so far?
1: Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure out if I like it or if I don't like it so far, there's more about it that I like than what I don't like. Um, so let me, let me, let me kind of break down some of like the details of it for you. Um, I know that having spoken to Zach Wilson, who oversees the Rockies farm system, he likes it because it's giving players and staff a dedicated day off. So everybody is always off on Wednesday in our league and all the other leagues. Everyone is always off on Monday. Mm -hmm. So from a rest standpoint, um, that is something that player development definitely likes. I think that just managing your pitching staff and managing days off for players, both the physical side and the mental side are all really important things that is that is allowing players to get the day off. I also really enjoy knowing that I'm going to get one day off my first year in the league. We had eight days off the entire season and three of those eight were spent during the All-Star break. We played 144 games in 152 days. And that just made no sense to me. Um, And so to be able to have this many more days off is great. Um, So so that's good. Personally, I like it when there's a winner of a series. And so I like it when there's a five game series. So that, you know, look, it's each one of your five starters and who wins the series. And so by the time you get to game six, it's a little bit more interesting in this, um, because it's a rematch, usually not always, but it's usually a rematch of the game one starter. So that adds a little bit of an interesting dynamic. Um, I like that we're in one city for a while and you get to pick a bunch of different restaurants to go eat and get to go see a number of different things within a city. Um, I know that the minor league teams like it and the major league teams do because this is going to be cheaper rather than, I don't know how many flights are going to be on this year, but it's fewer than in the past because you're just not flying every four days. You're flying, you know, um, once a week or actually every other week because of Mm -hmm. the way that the home road breaks down. Um, So there's some things like that. Now we're in the start of a two-week road trip where it's 12 games in 13 days and we'll have a 12-game homestand. And from a business standpoint, that's probably not ideal. Trying to get people to buy tickets for a 12-game homestand, people might pick one game, maybe two at the very most. I think you'd rather have them spaced out a little bit more and you also kind of worry that when you leave for two weeks are your fans going to forget about you and just get in the habit of doing something else in the summertime so i think those are all things that um work into it um i'm not allowed to be around the players so i haven't had too much time to ask them what they think we had a group call with um greg bird earlier this year and he really seemed to like it he thought it was going to be interesting as the season went along he said it feels like it's always a playoff series Whereas, um, you know, sometimes if you just play three or four games, the series is over before it even gets started. And so he, he thought that it'd be interesting to just to kind of see the ebb and flow of a series. So overall, th- there's more that I like than I dislike, but we'll see how I feel at the end of the series, uh, excuse me, at the end of the season, especially after some of these really long two week um, homestands or two week road trips.
0: Yeah, that Greg Bird piece is very interesting because I think players, I mean, me personally, in my professional life and personal life, I kind of set goals, mini goals, one day, three days, first quarter, second quarter, that type of stuff. So when Greg Bird says the series part is kind of like a playoff game and kind of referring back to winning the series is a big thing. That is a thing that ball players have to think about. And then you're adjusting that a little bit with these five game series, six game sets, Um just, I never really thought about like how does that affect the mental psyche of a ball player, somebody like Greg Bird, especially who's trying yeah. to make it up to that that major league, make it to Coors and all these little goals, these little steps to make him successful. You got to kind of adjust what you've been trained to do over the last 20, 25 years.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing, even just from like a strategy an X's and X is an O standpoint, once a team figures out your weakness, if they're getting you to swing at a certain pitch and they're getting you out a certain way, then you really need to figure out an adjustment because they're going to keep doing that. Or on the other hand, if you're just crushing a team, you're just going to continue to crush a team, uh, whichever way that mm-hmm. is. Um, even like, you know, to go back to a guy like Greg Bird and Sam Hilliard and some of our other left-handed hitters, I think it's interesting to see how the shift is employed against those guys and how that changes throughout the course of a six game series and how they might start off with a super radical shift and then they make it not quite as radical, or maybe they start with a more basic shift. And then at certain times, you know, they'll move the third baseman into shallow, right? So I think that just, you know, there's certain things that a coaching staff is going to know based on what the scatter report tells them. And then based on what their eyes see, they're able to start making more adjustments in terms of the way that we position our players. And um, so all those kind of things I do make, I I do think that it's interesting, but look, the, the number one thing about the six game series is that we're getting more days off. And that is really important, mentally, physically, everything, Um, especially when you think about these guys didn't play last year. And once we get later in the season, I'm sure that there's a lot of organizations that are going to be concerned about the number of innings that guys throw. And so just by having more days off, I think it just allows um, the managers and pitching coaches in order to just uh, have a better feel for the workload for everybody on their staff.
0: Right. On that, like, I just went to – so I'm in Grand Rapids right now, and I just went to the West Michigan Whitecaps game. They were playing the Lansing Lugnuts, uh, Oakland affiliate. And the starting pitcher for the Oakland affiliate, the Lugnuts, he only pitched one inning. He pitched, like, maybe 30 pitches – nope, not one inning. One time through the um, the lineup. Going to that developmental piece, do you see the isotopes, the Rockies, doing any – weird little things like that because when I saw that with the lug nuts dude it was it just screamed Oakland like we're going to (laughs) go through the lineup once we're going to give you this battery analytics stats and all that kind of stuff um do do you see anything like that just from all the ball that you see from our affiliate
1: no not really that that's not something that you generally see at triple a anyways most teams by the time you get to triple a they want their guys to be mimicking what their role will be in the major leagues as much as possible. I think that those are the types of stuff you see more often at, at uh, low A or high A. I think that league is now high A. I think that's one of those that got moved up to high A, Yeah, I even lost now. track myself. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, those are things that the A's are going to look to do, and it might be that they're just looking to manage, you know, workloads and pitch counts and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Um, you know, there, there, there's a few teams, like we played Sugarland a lot. That's the Astros affiliate And I don't know if this was a coincidence or not, but most of their relievers would go two innings, three innings. There was one case where someone went four innings. It seemed to me, and I haven't been able to to talk to people since we're not allowed on the field, to kind of find out exactly what the the strategy is behind that. It it just made me think that the Astros want to build up a lot of bulk pitchers, guys who can go anywhere from two to four innings. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just thought that that was an interesting strategy. Um, that Houston AAA team also just had a ton of really good prospects. I want to say that they had eight or nine guys on their AAA staff that were in the top 30 prospects for MLB pipeline. That's so it might just be that that's the way that, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really good. And, and maybe that was just a way in order to get all of them workload. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of times with the isotopes, the starter goes five and then it's four different guys who will go one inning after that. Um, so I, I still think that it's early enough in the season that it's hard to, see exactly what you know um any type of um you know strategy is from that end but i don't think there's anything too radical in order to answer your question about what the rockies are doing right now
0: right right um you also you do play by play for the nevada baseball also what's the biggest difference you see between like the collegiate level skill level and that minor league um level
1: yeah, no, that's a really good question because it's, it has been really eye-opening for me to go do college baseball and then come back to pro ball. Was this uh, your first year doing Nevada? Yeah, it was my first okay. year. Like I had done some college baseball here and there, but this is my first time doing this much college baseball. And I mean, the differences are stark in a lot of ways. Um, number one thing that I loved about college baseball, they clean their dugouts at the end of every game. <laughs> it is thick and span, right? It drives me nuts when I look at a dugout in professional baseball, and there's sunflower seeds, and there's just stuff everywhere, and it's disgusting. College <laughs> baseball, they clean their dugouts. It is cleaner when the day ends than when the day begins i love that i mean a lot of the rah-rah stuff from college baseball i actually really enjoyed a guy gets hit in college baseball and he smiles he drops the bat he sprints to first base and his teammates cheer yeah you got on base it's a rally in professional baseball somebody gets hit and they're mad they stare they glare they're upset they go down to first base they're trying to get out of the way of pro ball to get hit in college Sometimes they're leaning in. Sometimes the umpire says, no, you didn't try to get out of the way of that. You have to continue your at bat. So that, that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. Um, I, I think that the range, you know, a guy hits the ball in the hole between third and short, even if the shortstop feels it like 1% of the time, they're going to throw the guy out at first base. Right? Um, you know, in pro ball, it's maybe 50%. It might be a little bit higher than 50%. Uh, the slow roller where the third baseman has to come in and has to just barehand and throw from a low arm slot to first that play gets made over 50% of the time in pro ball, that play gets made maybe 25% of the time in college ball. And if it is, it's because it was bunted pretty hard and they had time to glove and transfer and then throw over.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, That's skill set. I,
1: I, yeah. I think if there's a foul ball down one of the lines in foul territory and you know, you got a long run in order to get to that, That's a ball that doesn't get caught very often in in college ball, uh, but does in pro ball. Um, So there's some things like that. And then obviously the velocity and things like that, you're going to notice. I mean, I really enjoyed college baseball. I I had a blast doing it and look forward to doing more college baseball in the future. Um, I mean, the other main thing is they're trying to win in college baseball and in the minor leagues. Yeah, they'd like to win, but if you're on the roster, you're going to play in minor league baseball. You may not play a lot, but everyone is going to play a little bit. And if you're a pitcher who has a very high ERA, you're still going to keep pitching every once in a while because you're there to get better and to work. College baseball, if you're not performing, you ain't playing. You're going to sit on the bench. Mm. It is very much a, a case of these are our best nine to 11 position players, and they're going to play almost every single inning. And these are our best three starters maybe our fourth starter for the the midweek games, which we didn't have a whole lot of because of the pandemic. And these are our three best relievers, and we're going to use them for as many innings as we possibly can on the weekends. And we're going to go to our closer in the fourth inning and our closer is going to go as long as he can go until he runs out of gas. And I love the different strategy that was involved in college baseball. Um, And that's what happens when you just play three games a week or maybe a a midweek game. So the, the, the changes were, were vast, and I would actually really encourage people to go out and, and really get into college baseball because um, I love minor league baseball. I love the rehab. I love the hot prospects. I love the guys trying to make a comeback. I love the late bloomers. I love all of that. I love being able to watch a Rockies game and see that just about the entire roster are guys that came through our team that I know that these are my guys. These right. are like my nephews. But there, there's something about college baseball that's really special, too, about the intensity of it, how much they care, and how much they're trying to win.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's something I've been struggling with because I love college baseball. I grew up in Nebraska, went to, we played a wood bat tournament growing up in near Omaha. And so, and that was always right around the college real series. And so since I've been 10 years old up until 30, when I moved away, I was at Omaha every single year, whether it was in the bleachers, whether it was just around the ballpark, I have Rosenblatt seats right outside in my backyard right now. Like it's huge it's fun. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. But the biggest thing is like, it's not marketed at all. Like I, I turn on the big 10 network during the, the fall here or the spring here. And I don't see a baseball game on the SEC does a pretty good job with their network, but I would love for people, like you just said, like to see more college baseball and get more excited about it because these games that we've seen in these regionals, these super regionals have been electric. They've been fantastic, but There's no way to watch them.
1: Yeah. And I don't know exactly why it is that college baseball doesn't get promoted or more attention than it does. I have some theories, but I don't want to, you know, pretend like I'm an expert after one year of that, but I know that it's a really fun sport. And I know that there's some things that college baseball could do. That's somewhat similar to what minor league baseball does. And I'm not sure exactly why that doesn't take place. Um, Even from like a media standpoint, most, most, newspaper ever college baseball um and again i don't know exactly why that is but it's really fun and it would be um and i think that with fewer minor league baseball teams existing look one third of the minor league teams got eliminated from you know in the the great hostile takeover so Mm -hmm. i think that there's an opportunity for more people to get behind their college baseball teams and um and 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 i think it's an opportunity for college baseball to market itself especially in those markets that lost their pro team in the summer Right. Um, so, you know, we'll see what college baseball is able to do. I do like, look, bottom line is between ESPNU and ESPN Plus and the SEC network and the Pac-12 network, you are getting more games. You're still not getting as much as I think they can do. And uh, and I think that maybe, you know, it's kind of on all of us to to spread the word about how much fun college baseball can be if you, if you give it a chance.
0: Yeah, I've seen more college baseball as fun in these last month or two than I have like the previous last five or six years um big question what's the better sound the wood bat sound or the aluminum bat sound
1: (laughs) you know um you get used to the ping after a while like that is an adjustment at first when you're only used to the crack of the bat um and then after a while like i honestly don't it doesn't even like register to me it's more about like the loudness more than the ping or the crack Mm -hmm. um you know when a ball gets hit no matter if it gets barreled up no matter what type of bat it's coming from like you know it um you know i i think that when you hear the cr- the uh a bat get broken get shattered i think that i notice that more um, i'm totally dodging your question um <laughs> I mean, look i when i played baseball all i ever used was an aluminum bat so I, that's kind of more natural to me right um you know and, and honestly even the fact that you asked that question i don't know if like some people get they're like oh it's the ping of a bat instead of a crack like I, i'm I don't know if that gets into people's heads about this product that you're watching. Um, I just know that it's really fun. And when a ball gets barreled up, (laughs) it's really fun (laughs) to see what it does.
0: Yeah. And it's fun seeing some of those barrels celebrations from college fans, college fans are just as ridiculous as the college players. Like you were saying earlier.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and again, that's what makes college baseball so much fun too, is just the way that people just get into it the way that they do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk some Rocks. You, again, Albuquerque, you're the man up there. You've been up there, what, th- almost 10 years now? Little...
1: Since 2013, and 2013. the Rockies joined us in 2015.
0: Um, so I have a few questions on, like, these fan favorites of Rockies um, coming up, like, this past year. Justin Lawrence, Connor Joe. A lot of us still love our Sammy Hill yard. Um, and just, like, is there that same excitement down in Albuquerque like when I saw Justin Lawrence for the first time, that side arm with the kind of the Craig Craig Krimble, Kimbrel, um look at him, he just looked like he was going to be super fun to watch. Like, is that also down there in Albuquerque live? Like, do fans get excited about it? Do you, like do you get excited about that kind of stuff, Connor Joe?
1: Well, I definitely get excited about Justin. Justin Lawrence. I mean, he's, he's really fun to, to watch pitch, um, you know, in terms of what our fans are getting excited about, that's always, that's always a really difficult question to answer because most people, when they come to a minor league baseball game, they're coming to one or two a year. You're hoping that they're knowing the players or getting to know the players by the time that Justin Lawrence comes into the game, it's usually the ninth inning. Some people have already gone home. Um, you know, were they there because there's post-game fireworks? Were they there because it was teacher appreciation nights and they got tickets that way? You know, um, you're never quite sure how much people are really going to a minor league baseball game because they love the baseball versus how many are there because it's the fun thing that you do in the summertime. And because I'm at the top of the ballpark, I'm really not, like, in the crowd to know whether people are, like, into that. And, and just like how college baseball – You know, how is it that college baseball can market itself more? Minor League Baseball has this thing where we can't market the players because we don't know who the players are going to be and how long we're going to have them. And so, Minor League Baseball becomes the marketing is much more on giveaways and mascots and fireworks and theme nights and, you know, doing a mariachi night where you're Mm -hmm. trying to do these things that don't have anything to do with baseball because you don't know who the players are. You know, I'll give you a quick example, um, which is from a long time ago. There's a guy by the name of Brian Cavazos Galvez. He was from Albuquerque. He went to college at the University of New Mexico. He had finished the previous year at AAA Albuquerque. It looked like he was probably going to be with the Isotopes again the following season. They made some billboards that said like, you know, your hometown team. And while it didn't have his name, people knew that it was Brian Cavazos Galvez and he was on billboards. As it turned out, he wasn't with the Isotopes that year. He was sent. He was at A. Oh, no. and, and again, it's not like, it's not like the isotopes did a marketing campaign around him, but they right. used his image, right? Because people knew who he was. And so that's just one example of how, when you don't know who the players are day to day, week to week, it makes it really hard to market that. And, and I think that's something that we all struggle with. And, and I try to do as best I can to just, these are the players and these are their stories get behind them, And you'll care more about the team and these guys. But then the next thing, you know, you know, the Rockies have an injury and Lawrence is up in the major leagues for a month. <laughs> you know? Right.
0: Yeah. And kind of, so, I guess, do you see people have to be
1: knowledgeable enough,
0: right? So, like when they saw B Rod and Freeland about three, four weeks ago, actually, that wasn't in Albuquerque, was it? That was
1: uh, Freeland was had one in Albuquerque and one in El Paso. Rogers had his entire time in El Paso. Uh, yeah.
0: So, you know, but do, you, do you see like the crowds grow a little bit more for like those kind of things? Like those big I,
1: I think they did a little for Freeland. They definitely did what for Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger came to Albuquerque on a rehab assignment and look, he's the reigning MVP. Albuquerque Good. still has a lot of Dodger fans, right? They had a Dodgers affiliate for like 40 years. here. Right. Or something. Um, I mean, that definitely moved the needle. There was a lot of people wearing Dodger gear and Cody Bellinger jerseys, trying to get autographs and all that. Um, when Matt Kemp came to Albuquerque, I think that definitely moved the needle. Um, trying to think about some of the other Rockies who might come down. I mean, when Freeland came down a couple of years ago, it's because that he was really struggling. And so I don't know how much that like moved the needle from an attendance standpoint. Um, You know, uh, I remember when Brendan Rogers first got moved up from double A to triple A, they were talking about it on our local sports talk station that carries our games. And a bunch of people started to call in and, I remember just thinking like how impressive that was that people are like, Oh yeah, I want to go out. I want to hear about this guy. I want to see this guy that the people are talking about who's this top prospect. So I, I think it's only the elite guys that really move the needle. Um, but again, that becomes the challenge for me and everybody else to, to educate people about who these guys are so they can come out and see him.
0: Yeah. And it's, we talked to John Traub uh, probably a few months ago and just listen to what you're saying now from the baseball promotion piece of it into what his job was is, get people in the seas from a promotional pr- promotional aspect and it's just it's very interesting seeing the two you guys have the same goal but you have two completely different ways to get people in there
1: yeah um, i mean even like when ryan rollison made his triple a debut you know we're trying all that we can on social media to spread the word like hey ryan rollison you know top Rockies pitching prospect you know come right. on out to see him and um, you know, and he comes out and the first inning, he strikes out the side and you're like, okay, you know, here we go, the top Rockies prospect. And then in the second inning, he gets knocked out. And so then you kind of <laughs> feel dumb, right? Um, but then he pitches really well at Sugar Land and he pitches really well. Um, his next start back at Albuquerque. And I remember like, again, trying to hype it up. And it's like, he was facing Dalton Jeffries and it was the rematch. It was game six of the series and they had both pitched game one. So now here they are in game six. And, uh, and it's a day game. And I remember like hyping it up about this great matchup, Jeffries versus Rollison. Then I get the lineup and Rollison's not in there. And I'm like, Oh man, Oh, I guess he got called up. And then you find out later on in the day, no, he had his appendix removed. And so there's just things like that where you're, you're doing everything that you can to try to spread the word and tell people, Hey, there's this great prospect, come watch him. And then the first time he gets knocked out in the second inning. And then, you know, the third time he doesn't start because he got his appendix removed and, it's really easy to just bang your head against the wall about like, you know, what do we have to do in order to try and get the word out about this baseball stuff? But, you know, those are just things you can't control. So what are you going to do?
0: Right. That's just part of, part of minor league ball, right? Just you have yeah. no idea what the next hour or the next day looks like. Yeah. Uh, players. So two vastly different players. I just want to get your, pick your brain on this. So Ryan Velade is, am I saying his name right? Velade. Velade. It's 22, 22 years old, second round pick, a lot of super huge upside. And then there's this dude, Winton Bernard, who has a sweet baseball name, but he is drafted in the 30th round. He's 30 years old and they're both doing the same thing, but with completely different expectations. I guess, how do you see that just from like, how do you see them going every day different how they go about their days? to trying to get that call up do you see a little bit more eagerness in one or the other does the pressure ever get to velade as opposed to bernard who's just out there having a good time i guess what differences and comparisons yeah. do you see
1: you know i think that's one of the things that makes minor league baseball really so interesting too is you have these two guys who are pretty similar in like their body type pretty similar in their game they're both outfielders they're both hitting in similar types of spots in the order and they're teammates and they're trying to win games together and they're trying to help each other and be friends and yet they're also trying to get to the major leagues and again because i'm not around not allowed to be around the players i can't give you a lot of insights about those two guys i have talked with both of them on on zoom calls um and so i mean i don't know in terms of like any type of pressure that they're feeling or anything like that but um, I know that they're both really fun to watch. The thing that stands out to me about Ryan Velade is the number of times when the, the at-bats that he's having where he's down 0-2 or 1-2, and then it's just fouling off pitch after pitch after pitch, and then lay off this tough slider down and away, and then foul off another pitch, and then lay off this nasty changeup. And then just, I mean, he's had so many at-bats that have gone 8 to 12 pitches, and he doesn't always end those at-bats with a hit, but he's just a tough out, just a really tough out, and I think it's really fun the way that you can just see somebody just get better. Look, this guy skipped double a he's mm-hmm. going from single a to triple a after barely playing an entire year. He, I think he was at the alternate training site. Yeah. So this is a huge adjustment for him. He's 22. The average age of triple a is like 25 or 26. Yeah. And I think he's just going to keep getting better. And it's fun to watch him get better on a day-to-day basis. And He's learning a new position, right? He's in the outfield now after being an infielder his whole life. And to be candid, there's times that he has horribly misplayed balls this year, but he's getting better. His defense now compared to the first week of the season is already a huge difference and he's going to yes. keep getting better. I see, I see him out with Warren Schaefer at one o'clock in the afternoon, taking fly balls before a six thirty game on a regular basis. Um, awesome. Yeah you know, and then you take a guy like Wynton Bernard and you talk about perspective. This guy was playing independent ball two years ago. And last year he was in this kind of makeshift four team league that played in Sugarland, Texas, where all four teams played at the same ballpark, which is now the Astros AAA affiliate. Um, He got to play during the pandemic last year. And I talked with him about that on our zoom call. And he felt like, Number one, he felt really fortunate that he was able to play. He felt like it gave him a chance to get signed this winter where maybe he otherwise would not have gotten signed because of his age and because he's been around. And it also gave him a leg up. He wasn't as rusty when the season began. He also played winter ball. And so he was able to come out of the gates swinging and he wasn't rusty like some of the other players were, um, you know, and is just a guy who's just always happy and just a smile on his face. Even from up in the press box, I can see that, you know, it's a guy who just, it's just, he loves life and he loves playing baseball. That's awesome. um, and so it's a really good comparison of, of those two that you brought up. And it, it, I think it's just fun to watch those guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is cool. I, it's always like going back to our college baseball discussion. So it's always fun to see players having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's cool. So I have a few, few more questions here Um, right now. So one of the biggest one is me finding good things to watch for in a Rockies game. Like we're struggling mightily. And as a fan perspective, it's it's pretty hard to watch them on the road specifically. When you, as the play-by-play guy, have those kind of games, or go back to like what Fresno did, going, scoring nine runs in the first inning, and then you have the next eight innings that you have to kind of fill. How do you get through those long days of summer type games? Like as a play-by-play dude?
1: Yeah, um, well, a, a number of things, especially if the game is in Albuquerque. You, you know that no lead is safe, right? We were down, down. ten to one going into the bottom of the seventh earlier this year and rallied to defeat Oklahoma City eleven to ten, right? You score, you score that many runs in the last three innings to pull out a, a victory um, is pretty special. Not that that happens on a regular basis, but you know in the back of your mind that that can That's happen baseball, and it has right. happened. Um, you know, is that going to happen in Miami or in Cincinnati? Probably not, <laughs> but those things can happen a little bit more often in Denver, Albuquerque. Um, so that's number one, uh, shoot, even, you know, on the last home stand, we were down, what was it? Five going into the ninth and then hit a two run home or another home run and another home run. So it was three straight home runs. So that cut the lead down to one, all of that came at two outs. And then, um, the last out was made. So we lost by one, but I remember even saying a two out walk. And I said, you never know. It's what I said on the air. You never know, you know, two out walk in this ballpark. You never know. And then three straight home runs and here you go. It's a one run game. So I keep that in the back of my mind. Um, I also know that there's certain times that I'm going to just celebrate baseball. I'm glad that I do a feature each day called This Day in Isotopes History. And I can take something that happened and rather just saying the details, oh, you know, Mike Talkman had two hits and two RBIs and the Isotopes won on this day five years ago. And then use that to talk about Mike Talkman and what he was like to watch, and his evolution as a AAA guy, as someone who was a below average AAA guy's first year, and then was extremely good, and then was out of his mind his third year as an all-star, and how he caught Farhan Zahidi's attention, and Farhan has been trying to acquire him for a number of years, and finally got him with the Giants, and talk about the two great catches that he has made to rob home runs and the Grand Slam, and this is also my way of trying to beat it over the head of our fans that our players are really good and they go on to do great things in the major leagues and talk about guys like Pat um, and be able to just use like those segments as a springboard to just go through whatever is in my brain at the time about my memories about that player. And -hmm. then sometimes I'll do this day in overall baseball history and look for something that's just fun. And I'll look for something that I can relate it to yesterday's game was the start of. The Dodgers infield, Garvey, Say, Lopes, Russell, where they started their run of eight and a half years as the Dodgers infield. And so I use that to discuss how three of those guys played in Albuquerque and the fourth who didn't, which is Bill Russell, managed for the Albuquerque Dukes. And just be able to tie together. Yeah. I mean, that's what news is, right? It's, you know, it's always localizing news. And so being able to do different things like that. Um, But then there's also, you know, Justin Lawrence comes into the game in the ninth inning, even if it's a 10 run deficit, this is still significant. Like what Mm -hmm. Justin Lawrence does still matters, even if it's a 10 run game or Ryan Valade's at bat right now still matters. Or, you know, I think that you can get into um, the game within the game during those blowouts. And that's what I try to do.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, We'll end it with this. Um, I've asked Dooley out in Hartford. We asked Boyle up in Spokane, um, what is your most favorite call that you've had? Uh, like, Dooley's one was he had, he called a home run that ended up saving somebody's life because of the 9 11 attacks. Um, Boyle had his favorite one was a car giveaway to the, the lady, and the lady just freaked out and it was just really fun for him. Um, just uh, what is your like favorite? kind of moment call that you've been able to do
1: wow uh, the, the pressure here like you know saving someone's life and yeah. a, a woman getting a car like I don't know if I can top any of those <laughs> um let's see in 2019 we had a game in which so it was a mariachis game right that's where we we embraced hispanic culture and we uh rebrand ourselves as mariachi de nuevo mexico we're playing round rock and pretty sure through seven innings we did not have a hit and then in the eighth inning, we either tied it or we got within one. And um, and then in the bottom of the ninth inning, Dom Nunez hit a walk-off home run, and it was absolutely crushed. And I remember um, – I, I like my call. I remember I was saying Ganamos, which is Spanish for we win. I think I said mm-hmm. Mariachi's win and Ganamos a bunch of times. The celebration was awesome. And the next day – I remember I interviewed Dom Nunez on the field about that moment and just how excited Dom was because he said that he had never gotten a chance to start on the day that we were the Madiachis and how much fun the, the atmosphere is in the ballpark. And as someone, yeah. you know, who, you know, is from a Hispanic background himself, just how much fun it was. Little did I know that after we finished the interview, I go upstairs, I edit the interview get ready for that night's game. He got told he was going to the major leagues right after that interview. Oh. <laughs> and so he was in the major leagues like the next day. Um, and so that was just a really fun call. I mean, it was just, again it was it was mariachi's and it's a walk-off and it was seven innings of despair and then this huge comeback and he gets called up the next day to the major leagues and so that's probably my favorite call
0: the best baseball moments all coming in in together there there is definitely a baseball god there has to be because the story is just like that that's awesome um i appreciate you spending your your morning with me and speaking a little rockies and ball play-by-play stuff and um Thank you, Josh.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, This was really fun. Thanks for the invitation. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, we'll look forward to your calls. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in. Find more content at blakestreetbanter.com.